before we begin. Let us all take a moment to pay homage. To the infinitely compassionate one, the unvanquished one, the undefeated one, our teacher, our master, our guide to liberation from all suffering. And as we do so, let us also remind ourselves that this is an oath that we have taken, a pledge that we renew and a vow to ourselves to follow in his footsteps, to follow in the footsteps of the great men and women who once roamed this earth and do so to this day, to follow that path, the noble path, which will ultimately help us all to free ourselves from suffering. And also as we do so, do not forget that we have a duty and an obligation to help all other sentient beings. Those who have been mothers and fathers to us, our own children, our own blood, and countless births in Sansara, to help them all achieve the same ultimate goal. Reminding ourselves of this great responsibility, both towards ourselves and others, let us bring our hands together now in veneration of the supremely enlightened Lord Buddha. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato Samma Sambuddhasa. <coughs> okay. Where did we stop last week? Might be a good place to continue from. We were discussing how you are the carrot that you eat. Remember? And how that makes us all the same, although we are always talking about our differences. In fact, there is more that unites us than what separates us. So much so that I believe that the only thing that separates us is our own making. What we believe separates us, separates us. Nothing else. I can't believe I just said that. Because that is so true. 
what we believe separates us is what separates us. Separation is only a perception. The truth is we are all the same. We are all mind and matter. Ultimately, all of that is just energy. Energy stretched in certain ways, in a certain order. Matter composed in a particular composition, which tends to give us the impression that we are so different, but ultimately we are not. So, I have a few tricks up my sleeve today. I will try and help get this point across to you. As I said last week, if you can grasp this concept, then you don't need to come back here again. Because from there on, you can be your own teacher. From there on, it's simply a matter of perspective through which you will start to see the world and everything that happens in it. Just as much as I don't need to teach you to suffer, do I? You're doing that well on your own, just fine, aren't you? Did anyone teach you to suffer? Did they? No. Did anyone teach you to attach? So there is no one that suffers, it is simply a process. In the same way, if we can identify how this process can be extinguished, exterminated, then suffering can be terminated. There's no doer here. Simply something that is being done, not by a doer, cause and effect. Right, now some of you may have uh, maybe some pen and paper, others will have your, you're capable of doing, making mental notes, I hope. Still capable of that? Not too long in the tooth for that yet, I hope. Right, so I want to show you a, a video. And as you watch that, I want you to make a list. I'll probably show it to you maybe a couple of times so you can do this properly. I want you to make a list of everything that you see. Everything that you, now when I say see, I actually mean perceive. So don't fight your urge, you don't fight your instinct. Now, because you will have heard me talk about this before. So your better judgment might try to stop yourself from interpreting what you see as you would otherwise. So that is not what I want you to do. I want you to be your natural selves. Imagine you had no understanding of the Dhamma and try and forget what I'm trying to tell you here and just interpret what you see as you see. What you will be seeing are some shapes and you will identify those shapes as something familiar. And when you do, make a note of it. Ready? Okay.
<clears throat> Give me a list of what you saw. Just call him out. Hmm? A whale. How many? Hmm? Ostrich. Oh, very imaginative. A boot. Snake. A dragon? You know one when you see one, huh? Butterfly. Trees? Uh, okay. I think we all saw that. But I think I get what you mean. Okay. Anything else? A man on his knees. That was not you reminded of your past by any chance, was it? Okay. Right, okay, so we have a few contenders. Interesting that you've seen such variety. Did you all see all of it? I don't think so. Some of you are fairly quiet, which I assume you've probably either seen a few of these or you didn't see any of them. Others might have seen a fair few. I doubt anyone saw all of them. Because you didn't know what you were looking for. But if I show it to you again, you'll see all of them. Shall we have another go? All right, see if you can spot them. I hid them all from you until now. Now I'm going to reveal all, okay? See what magic I can do. It's all my doing, isn't it? Of course. Hmm. Let's try that one more time. See if you can spot them, okay?
Feel free to call it out as you see it. It's fine. It's probably the one chance I'll give you all to talk at the same time. Okay, so I think you called out most of them and chances are most of you actually spotted them second time round. Because the first time round, you weren't expecting to see anything as such. I said you'll see something, maybe some shapes, but you weren't sure what you're going to look at. You didn't know what you might see. But the second time round, you had a model. And you know what these things are like. You've seen them before. You have mental images of them. So what you did the second time round was you projected them onto the screen. And in your projections, you started to see shapes that resembled dragons and snakes and birds, flowers and boots and cheetahs and all sorts. Think about what I'm trying to teach you here. Ultimately, you see what you want to see, right? That's a natural phenomenon. It's called a murmuration or a murmuration. It's called a murmuration. The reason it's called a murmuration, how it gets its name, is now there you just heard some background music, but normally when those birds, they fly in those formations as a swarm, if you like, you hear a faint murmur. It's not so faint when they're close, up close. It's almost like you have a jet flying by. So at some distance, 
So that gives the uh, it gives a murmuring sound. That's that's where it gets its name, but that's besides the point. The fact is that's a natural phenomenon. You see it in some parts of the world. You may have seen it yourselves personally. Have you have you ever spotted that? You just put give me a show of hands if you've seen that in natural in nature. Oh, good. We have a few. <clears throat> but you know, individually, or if you take a step back and actually think about what's going on there, they're simply birds in flight, aren't they? Now, those birds, I mean, to this day, to environmentalists, scientists, biologists, it's still a mystery how it is that birds fly like that. I mean, who coordinates all those movements? I mean, it's like an orchestra, only in the sky. It's like someone's coordinating all of that. So, of course, then you have to have someone orchestrating it. Then it's his doing. But again, that beside the point, what I'm trying to get across to you here is what you really saw was just a flock of birds, but lots of them, individual components in a certain distance from, e from each other, at a certain distance from each other. And overall, what you saw was what last week we referred to as a configuration, an arrangement. So those birds were flying in arrangements, numerous arrangements, and those arrangements kept changing from time to time. They had no idea that they were flying to present this display. You know, that was not the Air Force, like they normally do formation flying. You've seen that, right? So when they put the jets up in the sky, they do formation flying. But that is well orchestrated, well trained, well practiced, time and time again. And you had to be a master, a master pilot to be able to do that. But here, these birds, they don't know what they're up to. They just fly. But they somehow have some instinct to keep a certain distance from each other so that they don't collide. Never do birds collide. That is why to scientists it's still a, a mystery how, that, how it all happens. So they say it's a mystery of nature. But this isn't, is it? This isn't a mystery of nature. This is a pen. This is a pen because you want to see a pen. That is what I proved to you earlier. You saw all these shapes in that formation flying because you wanted to see them. Whenever you spot something out there, you're always trying to fit it into a model that you already are aware of. No matter what it is you look at. I think last week someone asked the question, what about if you don't know what it is? Right? Because in this world, you either like things or you dislike things. Things which appeal to you on the one category and things which you find distasteful, which don't appeal to you which annoy you, bother you, 
they fall into the other category. And then there's a third category of things which you still don't know. But there's, the, there's this urge to find out, the urge to know, because you want to be able to put it into one or the other category. So therefore, there's really nothing in this world that you don't know. Everything you know, you know. If there was ever something that you didn't know, it would only be as such for a very short period of time. You would find out what it was. Even if you didn't, you would call it the unknown thing. And then again, if you like unknown things, you will fall into the liking category. If you dislike unknown things, you will fall into the disliking category. But try and figure out why you know, this happens. The same thing that happens here happens to you every day. When you look at someone, when you look at something, Last week we talked about this. These are just arrangements of elements. Whether you call it Patavi, Apo, Tejo, Vayu, the basic elements, right? Or you look at it from the perspective of the periodic table of elements, right? These are just elements in a given arrangement. The arrangement can keep changing, and as it does. So last week I talked to you about the leaf and the finger. The only difference between the two objects is a different difference in arrangement. Therefore, one can transform into the other. But having said that, there's something fundamentally wrong if you think of it in those terms. If you say it is the finger that becomes a flower or the flower that becomes a finger, then now I ask you a question. Was it the snake that became the whale? Was it the whale that then went on to become the jellyfish? So if the whale went on to become the jellyfish, where's the whale now? Where did it go? Where did the jellyfish come from? Then what happened to the bird? Was it waiting? somewhere until it was time for it to come and then it just flew in? What about the flower or the ostrich? Were they just waiting for the right time? Does one become something else? But when you put the dimension of time, you could probably arrange them in the order in which you saw them. Couldn't you? So you might say, first we saw, what, maybe, what did you see first? The whale? Hmm? Okay, and then you saw, say, the jellyfish? Yeah, then you said, next we saw the flower, then we saw the ostrich, then we saw the cheetah, right? So the whale became the jellyfish, became the flower, became the ostrich, became the cheetah. What happened to you in Sansara? Hmm? Well, forget Sansara for a second. What happened to you in this birth? First you were a baby, then you went on to become a teenager, and then you went on to become uh, an adult, a middle-aged person, then you become an elderly person, right? And then you become, you, then you die, then you're a dead body, and then after that you go on to become a, maybe a deva, or then maybe you're going to become a brahma, and then you become a, you know, an animal maybe, and then come back again as a human being. So you see, once you project these events on a timeline, now you have what we call a story. 
Where are stories made? In your mind. See, when we say once upon a time, immediately you set a timeline now and you have some boxes. You're waiting for me to give you some stuff to fill those boxes with. Yeah? I say once upon a time in a faraway land. Okay, one box filled. Location done. There was a little girl called Cinderella. Now you have projected a timeline. Now you want to know what's going to happen to Cinderella in that faraway land. So everything else I say now falls into that timeline. It falls into what you weave as a story. So if out of nowhere I just say, then there are coconuts and the coconut trees. You'll be like, what? I thought you were going to tell a Cinderella story. No. I was just telling you discrete events. I said, once upon a time. That's it. There was a girl called Cinderella. Okay. There are coconuts in the coconut trees. What's your problem with that? You have a problem with that, don't you? Yes, because now you're projecting something and what I'm saying does not fit into your model that you're projecting. That is your problem, ladies and gentlemen, not mine. But you tell me I'm ruining a good story. You accuse me. This is how you accuse others. This is how you find flaws and faults with others. When they don't walk the path that you have paid, now they become a problem to you. They become a nuisance to you. Don't they? Just as I have become a nuisance to you now. Because I started to tell you Cinderella's story and I'm talking about some coconuts on some coconut trees. And you don't like that. Because that's not what you're waiting to hear. In fact, very subtly, there's a vexation in your mind that wishes to find out what's going to happen to Cinderella. And so if I told you, well, she grew up and then she died, that's all. That's not so much of a story. Because see, in your story, it's not just enough to listen to my story. You have a story that you want me to tell you. So then why do you bother me? <laughs> That's why stories are nice to listen to. Because you'll hear the story that you want to hear. That's why they have different genre in, in, in film. You have romance, you have horror, you have adventure, you have suspense. We have, all, we have preferences, don't we? We have our likes. In other words, you have a story that you want to hear. And when the events, which are discrete individual events, they are revealed to you, what you do is you now try and fit them into a story. This is exactly what's happening here. Even if you left out the dimension of time, you still saw these things on there. Right? So I'm talking about two issues here in particular. Firstly, on the screen all you saw were birds. 
if you take a further dimension in, actually there were no birds either. But let's not go there first, we'll go there later. There were birds. And those birds were individual birds. They had, they had the foggiest idea that they were going to put up a display in the sky, right? They didn't all have a bird convention. Right? And then say, right, today we are going to put up a nice display. There are a lot of good people who are going to watch it, right? And maybe a few years in time at Jetanaram, people are going to be watching us on YouTube. We are going to be famous. So let's put up a good display. Don't anyone be making any mistakes while we're up there, right? Don't anyone bump into each other. None of that was discussed. Vipaka does everything. See, even the birds who put up that display don't know they're doing this, but why do you think they are? And Arahant doesn't perceive that he is giving a sermon, or that he is taking arms, or that he is going walking on, a, walking on, on the road, or he's talking to you, but why do you perceive that he is? See, even when the so-called doer doesn't perceive that he is doing something, why do you? Who gave you the authority to do that? So when the birds don't perceive that they are flying in formation, making up this display in the sky, why do you? Who gave you the right to do that? Ignorance gave you the right to do that. The need for separation. The urge for separation. The vexation for separation. When you saw those formations, you immediately wanted to separate it from everything else. In fact, you know, say when, they were, when those birds were flying in formation, maybe there were a, a few birds who were sort of, they, you know, their presence there made it more difficult for you to project your, your, your image. Right? Maybe there, was, there were a few birds to a side. Right? And they, they just made it difficult for you to project your image. So you'd say, you know, those birds, they're just ruining it. Right? They, they're, not, they're not playing their part. If only they weren't there, then the whole thing would, be, would have been so much better. Who gave you the authority to say that? Or to make that claim? See what your mind does. I'm, trying, I'm explaining to you here, ladies and gentlemen, how you make life hell for yourself. These innocent birds, they're flying up in the sky, minding their own business, but are you? See, not only when you spotted those patterns, even when you didn't spot a particular pattern, you were still looking for a pattern, weren't you? That is why, like, you know, like when you turn the, the uh, what do you call it, the... Uh, the combination lock on a safe, right, or a, maybe a, a briefcase. When you turn the combination, every time you, you turn the wheel, you're hopeful, aren't you, that this might be the right one if you didn't know the, the number. So if you're trying to unlock a safe and you turn the, the dials, right, you're hoping that this time it will be the right one. You did the same as you were watching that. You were hopeful that every moment you might now see one of these patterns. That was a moment of vexation. Now see, when you live life, when you live out there, 
the moment you open your eyes, the moment you open your ears, the moment you become a sentient being, your, sent your sentient identity, that awakens. And when that, does, when that does awaken, now you're always looking. You're always looking to identify things as unique and separate. And when you do, it gives you some relief. Relief from vexation. Because the deepest urge that we all have is the urge for separation. You liking your chocolate, you liking your ice cream, you liking your pudding, you know, they come secondary. Primary urge is the urge to separate. These principles will help you to lead a better life, a life free of suffering. All that is required is for you to understand this. Initially, to understand the logic behind this, and then to comprehend this, so that you then on perceive the world as such. You perceive your existence as such. See, if you still feel that you are a person, you are an individual, you are a being, there's still a problem. When you stand in front of the mirror, you will see one of these things. Perhaps you'll see a man on his knees. When you're actually kneeling on one knee, you think you are a man on a knee, don't you? Right? But really, what's there? Yeah. It's just mind and matter. Matter is simply the composition of natural elements. Just as in this case, it is. These birds, they fly in a certain arrangement that gives you the impression that it's a man on his knees. The same thing is going on with you. But those very birds can change their arrangement and then immediately they become a tree or they become a bird, they become an ostrich. Now do you get the concept that nothing is fixed? Do you think that pattern, those patterns, they were fixed? If they were, how did they change from one to the other? And when they did change, do you think it changed into this? Do you think the flower changed into an ostrich? You go ask them, do you have the blueprint for an ostrich? What would they say, the birds? You know what they say? What's an ostrich? What the heck's an ostrich? They'll ask you. Yeah, but you just made one. They say, no. We made no ostrich. So who made the ostrich? You made the ostrich. When you separate things, folks, you need a label. Because separate, I mean, don't you have a label? You'll have one in your wallet. <clears throat> you call it your identity card. That's your label. Remember the first label you gave yourselves? Your parents gave it to you. And they looked at the stars. They spoke to the astrologers. And they gave you a label, didn't they? <clears throat> Even when you were in your mother's womb, you still got a label. They went to the doctor, did the scan and said, boy or girl. See, your existence has to be categorized. It has to be classified. It has to be labeled. Everything that you perceive in this world has to be put into a box. So you can't stop thinking outside the box. You're always in a box. You can't see the world without its separation. You know, the moment you perceive all these separations, now you don't see how we are all the same. Think about why there are so many problems out there. Why are people always fighting with each other? 
in the in the name of love people kill each other don't they there's so much hate out there in the name of love do you see the irony in the name of love people kill do you see the irony i killed him why because he wanted to take from me who or what i loved so in the name of love i'm ready to kill if love was love alone without that separation now love would be universal this is why last week we talked about you know children of god what is god love for all and everything everything under the sun is the same just like all of this those the same right at the end of this display what do you have a flock of birds before this display what did you have a flock of birds during the display what did you really have <laughs> a flock of birds but what did you see you saw all these patterns before you became who you were what were you a carrot when all is said and done right when you go back into the soil and become fertilizer what will you eventually become a carrot but throughout your existence what do you consider yourself all these things that you consider yourself but what are you really a donut i i need you to transcend your thinking ladies and gentlemen go beyond what is capable what you are capable of right now and you will see the light you will see that you create your own suffering because you create all this within yourself that is why when the buddha was approached and they used to ask him venerable sir you know was it the tiger that became the lion was it the lion that became the monkey was it the monkey that then went on to become the elephant and was it the elephant that became the deva was it the deva that then went on to become the brahma the buddha said you're asking the wrong questions let's try this here is it the bird that became the flower do you say yes or do you say no yeah ma yeah absolutely now you understand because if you said no right you haven't given me what i need i've come to you perplexed i have a problem that that i have i have a problem you know what my problem is but i don't yeah you know what my problem is but i don't because you know what my problem is it is not sufficient for you to say no it wasn't the bird that became the flower because then i'll have you i'll ask another question from you then what was it that became the flower you haven't answered my question have you in fact you haven't solved my problem you may answer my question but you haven't solved my problem with your compassion the only thing that you would tell me really is you're asking the wrong question but if i was just a bother to you you'd say either yes or you'd say no because then i'll walk away if if you said yes that was a, that's a simple answer to answer to give yeah it was the bird that became the flower yeah i knew it thank you very much move on but have you solved my problem no because i still perceive a bird i perceive a flower 
See, when I perceive a bird, I perceive everything that is related to a bird. The bird has wings. The bird has a beak. The bird has a nest. Can't you make nests out of these as well? Can't you make beaks out of these? And then the bird lays eggs, and out of those eggs hatch baby birds. What are they called? What are baby birds called? Chicks, thank you. Chicks hatch. Right? And then now everything, once you have a bird, you have things that belong to a bird. Yeah? From its dwelling to what it eats to its offspring, there are things that belong to a bird. Just like there are things that belong to you. That is why I'm inviting you to think outside the box. You are trapped in a prison that you have built for yourselves. You are not who you think you are. In fact, you are not what you think you are. There is no who that is not who you are. There is just what. You are just a bundle of energy, stretched in a certain way, in a certain arrangement, that gives you this shape. These are just shapes. Can't you change that shape? Eat more than you should, then what will happen? The shape changes. You are shape shifters. <laughs> Eat less than you ought to, and it'll shape, the shape will change again. So you have no static shapes. You are just what you are right now. In this moment, you are simply the causes that have come together to give this manifestation. It is just what you perceive in this moment. But you don't see it as such because there's ignorance in your mind and that ignorance projects something more than what you are. Therefore, you can't help but see a, a world that doesn't exist. That is why they say, Dukkho loke patitita. This whole world that you perceive, ladies and gentlemen, you know, everything that you perceive in your own world is, is the making of your own perception and is based in, this, in what the Buddha calls Dukkha, in other words, Jati. Jati is the foundation stone of this world that you build. And once you do that, you have relations, you have cousins, you have brothers and you have sisters, you have friends and you have enemies, the whole world. And not just people, but objects. And once there's an object, it, it either belongs to me or it, belong, it doesn't belong to me. You don't have to say it belongs to somebody else. It either belongs to me or doesn't belong to me. But in either case, you either like it or you dislike it. You either want it to be yours or you want it not to be yours. See, the 11 great fires are seeded in Jati. In this mind's need to separate. Do you understand this concept? Then Evang Upasangharati. Look at this and apply this concept into what's going on with you right now. So that was a very that was a chance finding. You know, I, I knew these things, the, the birds used to fly like that, but you know, one occasion I thought, wow, actually, isn't doesn't isn't this a great way to explain what's going on with us? Ultimately, you know, if you think of like atoms combined to make up compounds, elements and compounds, right? 
and then complex compounds and so on. And then that has become you. But the problem is this. Even if I were to explain to you as scientists do that you are nothing than nothing more than just a collection of atoms, you'll still feel that that is my atom. Won't you? So that's the problem. That is where scientists can't, you know, they can't, they can't cross that barrier. That atom is my atom. What about the carbon atom that makes up part of your body? That is your carbon atom. You are the owner. That they can't go past. Why? Because even the carbon atom, they have to separate. They'll go as far as protons, electrons, neutrons. Then they'll say up quarks, down quarks, middle quarks. They'll go that far. But they'll still say, this electron belongs to this atom. This proton belongs to that atom. These quarks, they belong to this collection. You can't do away with that sense of belonging because that sense of belonging is an innate characteristic. When you, when you have this internal urge to separate things, because you know, once you put colored glasses on, you can't help but see the world in that particular color, can you? It's not something you do intentionally. It's just something that happens. If you did it intentionally, then you can stop doing it intentionally, can't you? After all these sermons, why don't you just stop separating things now? Come on. Right, at the count of three. Shall we all do that? We can all go home then. Isn't that evidence that it is not you who's doing it? Can you make it rain? Are you the rainmaker? When it's raining, can you make it stop rain? If you could, then where were you last night? Oh, oh yesterday morning. Where the heck were you? We were looking for you. You can't. Because it's not you who makes the rain. So if I ask you to make it stop raining, you'll, be, you'll look at my face and go, what are you talking about, Swami? I say, you can't stop it raining. It's not I who's doing it. But what about the things that you do? You feel you're doing it. So then don't you, you know, ask people, don't be angry. Have you, haven't you found yourself giving that advice to others? Don't be angry. Hey, don't be angry. Stop being angry. Hmm? If someone's angry, say, stop being angry. And if they don't stop being angry, what happens to you? You become angry. Hmm? Because they, not stop, they don't stop being angry. And if they keep on doing that, you really get angry. <laughs> Evidence is it not that anger is not your creation? It is simply the effect of causes. See, once you see the world in, in, the, in, in, this, in this light of cause and effect, there are no doers. This is cause and effect. There are things that happen. Happen because of causes. I think they've got it. That sound, it belongs to someone, doesn't it? It belongs to the dog. You can't help thinking that way. And a dog that's in pain, you might think. But a sound is just a sound. You know by knowledge, it's fine. You know by knowledge, but 
when you hear you know a little puppy maybe cry you can't help feeling feeling those emotions that happen inside you because you have that sense of belonging that poor animal it's in pain i have to do something about it you can't help that sense of belonging just like you can't help this you can't you can't perceive a sound just as a sound you can't perceive a sight just as a sight is always connected interconnected a whole world that is connected this world is networked because of jati so this is why i invite you to you know, to try and see you know do try when you try one day you can if you listen to these talks and try and you know absorb the the this the, the teaching that that is the dhamma and at the same time make a conscious effort to try and see the world in a in a in a new way to try and understand and perceive the world in a new way you will because that is the truth you know if you can if you can live a lie for 100 years do you think it's going to be so difficult to live a day in the truth hmm? is it 100 years you've been living this lie more like 100 yawns i haven't i haven't even scratched the surface if you can manage to live a lie for this long do you think it's going to be so difficult to live the truth no all you need is for your eyes to be opened because it is not you that creates suffering it is not you that needs to stop the creation of suffering it is simply a case of cause and effect now just as you see this you you understood now this phenomenon this is a natural phenomenon but you perceive that these shapes are out there just as you can't help perceive these shapes these patterns recognize that when you live out there you can't help perceive your children as your children but what there is really is just mind and matter if the if the kilo of carrots that you bought from the supermarket right before you walked in if someone else walked in and they bought it they're your next door neighbors right now who's going to cook it your neighbors who's going to eat it your neighbors right so now what went on to become your son would have gone on to become their son wouldn't it you understand what i'm saying you walked into the supermarket and you bought a kilo of carrots you don't like carrots what's with the faces then huh you bought a kilo of carrots you brought it home you cooked it and you ate it you fed it to your son and he grew up now he is the carrots have become your child right imagine before you walked in someone else walked into the carrot aisle they got the carrots they did they took it home they cooked it they ate it right now what has the what have the carrots become next door child you don't feel about that child the way you feel about your child do you your child is special isn't he or she that child is not so but what difference was there 
What was it that set you, uh, your child and their child apart? Five minutes. Five minutes earlier. And what you think today is your child would have been their child. If you hold your child's hand, you feel something different to holding someone, another child's hand. Are you willing to adopt an orphan? Don't answer. Answer inside. I don't want you to nod your head this way or that way. If I asked you, if I told you to do this, right? Give up your child. Put your child in the orphanage, any old orphanage, and take one of those children as your own and go home with them. Imoha. Are you up for that? Five minutes have made a world of a difference. Because the chef at the orphanage, he walked into the supermarket five minutes after you. If he'd walked in five minutes before you, then your child would have been the child in the orphanage. But you can't help that feeling. You are not willing. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the world is in balance, isn't it? Equilibrium has been restored. One child out of the orphanage, one child back in there. Right? So at the end of this sum, at the end of this working on this problem, the world is, is at rest. Before you began, your child at home, one child in the orphanage. After this experiment, so after the, what I've asked you to do, if you've done it, then one child still at home, the other child in the orphanage. What's the problem? Are you willing to do that? Are you? This is your test of how much you have understood the Dhamma. See? If, say, as a mother, okay, you've just given birth to your child, hmm? you're at the hospital, the child comes out of your womb and the doctor presents the child to you. And then say the nurse there says, I'd like that child. We have some children that, that are in the, at the hospital. You know, do you mind taking that child? I really like this child. You know, she looks really pretty. As a mother, can you say, oh, yeah, sure. You know, whatever, just give me one of them. I just want a child. A child is a child is a child. Hmm? You don't feel that way. Because you have this connection. Yeah, absolutely. See, try and, try and imagine this. Don't worry, I'm never going to ask you to do that. Huh? I'd be shot <laughs> if I ever did. You wouldn't come back here again. But that's why, you know, I, I want you to imagine these situations. See, to an arahant, a child is a child is a child. You have heard the story of how on one occasion, the child, the Arahant, before he became the Arahant, right, he was a layman. He had a child with his wife and then the wife, you know, gave birth, okay? And then this man went into the forest, he became the Arahant and the mother, now with, left alone with this child, thought, what am I going to do with this child? You know, she, he gave me a child and he walked away. 
now how am I going to look after this this baby? And then she took the child into the forest, left him, left the child by by the side so that the, the Arahant could hear the child crying. And then she walked away and hid herself, wanted to see what would happen. You've heard this story. So the Arahant comes along, looks at the child, not much he can do about it, walks away. The heartless thing he is, isn't it? Clearly an Arahant has nothing to do with the child because there's nothing that the Arahant can give to the child. But if forced, pick one of these children, you have to. Say the Buddha gave an order, pick a child, bring, bring them to the monastery and we'll look, look after them and you know, shelter them and feed them and help them grow up into good people right? and then go on to become Arahants one day as we are doing here. Then, does it matter which child to the Arahant? No, it doesn't. That's why when you bring your children here, it matters not to us which child, whose child, whether they are black or they are white, whether they are fully abled or whether, whether they are differently abled. Matters not. Tall or short, matters not. Because we don't project these things onto them. If you could give us the child without the body and just the mind, we would take that. It would save us a meal. It would save us having to build a roof over their heads. Extra work. Of really no use at all. At all. You know, your bodies are just a, a punishment to you. That's all it is. The body that you carry around you is simply an instrument for punishment. Don't you agree? If you don't agree, just wait a bit, wait a little longer, you realize what I say. Just hang in there for a bit longer. You have to feed the thing, you have to shelter the thing, you have to wash the thing, you have to fix it when it's broke. You have to rest it. And it helps you in no way, not in the tiniest way, for you to attain Nibbana. Because Nibbana is the cessation of attachment. Attachment is not in the body. It has nothing to do with the body. So therefore the body has no connection, no relation to your Nibbana, to your salvation. Therefore if we could take you here without your bodies, we would take all of you. Why do we set age limits at the monastery? Not younger than this, not older than that. Hmm? Because you come here with this. Had you left this at home and come just with your mind, we would have taken all of you. Because you bring a punishment with you. After a while it becomes our punishment. This is going to happen to me one day. This is going to become your punishment. But you can't help perceiving this body as yours. But this body which doesn't help you one tiny bit 
towards your Nibbana. See how much it robs your Nibbana from you. See how much it robs your Nibbana from you. If someone came and, you know, say, took something that belonged to you, maybe, maybe you know, twisted your arm and it hurt you. Now that steals your Nibbana. Maybe if they hit you, if they cut your hair without your permission, if they threw some acid on you, if they burnt you, if they struck you, that would take away your Nibbana. <clears throat> it would hurt you. Deep down inside it would hurt you because you would feel that they are doing something to me. But the truth is they are only doing something to a body. It is you who feels that this is my body. Why? Because your mind always wishes to separate. When it wishes to separate, it wishes to separate everything that it can. So all your belongings have become your belongings because you are you. That is why. So once again, I invite you, try and think outside the box that you are, that you have made for yourself. Come out of that box, at least for a brief moment, ladies and gentlemen. You know, that brief moment, you will experience euphoria. That brief moment, that one moment, if you can come out of this, this thinking, that you are an identity, that you are you. If for one second you can come out of that, you will experience the bliss of Nibbana. All suffering will cease for one moment. That one moment is worth more than a hundred years living like this. These are not my words. These are the words of the Buddha. So this lesson is to help you to try and stop yourself. I can't say stop, but this is to help you to see the world in a new perspective. You know, this is to help you to clear your drushti. Because where there is ignorance, you can't help attachment. Where there's ignorance that separation is good, separation is always pleasurable, separation is possible even, right? You can't, you can't help it. This activity, this, what we did here was to help you understand that separation is simply a fallacy. It is, you know, these things didn't really exist there, did they? If I said there was an ostrich there, would you agree? No, but you wouldn't say no either, because if I was speaking out of ignorance, then you'd have to give me an explanation. But then I'd say, yeah, but there was the ostrich. Imagine we froze that frame for a second. When you saw the ostrich, we froze it. Right, then I'd point at it and go, see, there's the ostrich. You can't now say, no, there is no ostrich. That is why in Buddhism, they don't, or at least in Buddhist philosophy, they don't talk about these two extremes. Either they're being or they're not being. Right? They don't talk. The Buddha doesn't explain the principle of the Dhamma in these two extremes. Existence or non-existence. We don't talk about that. What we talk about is, why do you feel that there is existence? That's a different conversation altogether. Am I or am I not? Wrong question. Here's the right question to be asking. Why do you feel that you are? Why do you perceive you as 
and existence as a being? That is the question to ask. It's a very different conversation to be had. It's like, you know, when, you, when, you are, when you've gone mad, if you've gone crazy, right, and you go to the doctor, you can't ask the doctor, doctor, is this a child or is this not a child? Hmm? Natasha, hold the baby, or at least what you think the baby is in your hand, and ask, doctor, is this a child or is this not a child? I ask you the question, is this a child or is this not a child? Well, how about now? Is this a child or is it not a child? You got to tell me, I'm asking the wrong question. Is this a child? Is this not a child? Is this not a child? Answer, is this not a child? See, you're stuck. You're stuck because you know that I'm asking the wrong question. Because if you say, no, this is not a child, then I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. What? Well, then what is it? I'm perceiving something here that you don't because you are sane. I'm insane. For once. You like it when we switch roles like that, don't you? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just entertaining you for a second. Hmm? Well, this is usually me giving, giving you the finger, huh? giving you the, the talk, but today huh? I'll let you have a go. Okay. So I'm insane, you're fine, right? I say, is this a child or is this not a child? You can't ask, answer either of those questions. If you said, yes, this is a child, then you're not helping me. I'll walk away. Oh, thank you. I'll take my child with me. With compassion, you can't give me that answer. Now I ask you, is this not a child? If you say no, I'm going to ask you, well, then what is it? Because I perceive something here. If you tell me, yes, it is, then again, you have sent me without helping me. Sent me away without helping me. So the answer is neither of those two things. Therefore, you have to ask me something else. Why do you perceive that there is a child here? Now I'll start coming up with some answers. Uh, uh, well, well, it's because it's because um, it's kicking. See, it's kicking. It's kicking its, its, its little legs. Then you can ask me another question. Why do you perceive that it's kicking its legs? You can keep on asking me questions until I realize, actually, no. It's not doing any of those things. That is how the Buddha has this conversation. You see, in the, the Buddha's questioning, the way that he, he has his Q&A, it's, it's amazing. He helps the man with the problem recognize his own problem. Without saying, here's your problem. Because then you have to take his word for it. But when you help a man realize his own problem, then he's not taking anyone's word for it. There's no room for blind faith in Buddhist philosophy. You come out of your own blindness. The teacher only guides. The Buddha guides this man by asking the right questions. That's all he does. I always believe a good teacher is someone like that. He asks, or he make, he asks the right questions, never gives you the answers. You know, say, just take a very simple example. Teacher, I couldn't do my homework. 
Why couldn't you do your homework? Uh, oh, why couldn't you bring your homework? The dog ate my homework. Why did the dog eat your homework? Because I left my book on the table and the dog was out to play. And then I went into the kitchen. And then when I got back, the dog had eaten my homework. Why did you leave the book on the table and the dog let out? Why did you do that? Oh, because uh, uh, I didn't think about it too much. I, I, I never thought it would happen. Why did you not think it would happen? Because I never thought it was possible. What do you think now? It's possible. So what might you do next time? If I leave the book on the table, I might not let the dog out. So who let the dogs out then? So couldn't have so you got to do one or the other. Right? Either lock the dog or don't leave the book on the table. I, you know, the teacher doesn't say this. The student realizes this. See, he leads. He's only a guide. Doesn't hold your hand and walk you. He's only a guide. I see any good teacher like that. Just a guide. Because, you know, see, the beauty of a guide is that you walk yourself. And when you have walked yourself, there's no one in this world who can turn what you have experienced firsthand into a lie because you have experienced it firsthand. It is true because it is true for you. That is a method in Buddhist philosophy. That is a method of Buddhist teaching. Hardly have I ever said anything to you that you have to believe in blind, out of blind faith. I've always shown you the logic behind it. I've always made you recognize and realize for yourselves. This is how my teachers have taught me and I, I, I find it unsettling to learn in any other way. There are some things which I don't fully understand, but those things are not relevant to my Nibbana. So therefore, I don't waste my time following up those avenues. There may be some, some superstitious stuff or maybe some supernatural stuff even. If you ask me, I'll say, I don't know. If you ask me, when did sansara begin? And how did it all begin? My answer is, I, I don't care enough to find out about it. If you've been shot with a poisoned arrow, do you care where it came from? Is that your biggest concern? Hmm? Or don't you have a bigger problem? How much time do I have left? And how can I quickly get this thing out of my body? Isn't that the biggest problem? Once you've sorted that, now if you wanted and if you had the time left, you can go back and find out who shot me. That is why you know, from time to time people will ask, where, where, did, where did we all start this? You know, where did it all happen? When did Sansara first begin? When did we first start feeling this way? I said, don't waste your time. Let's all start worrying about that after you've figured how to stop feeling you, yourself, the way you are right now. Once all suffering has ended, then let's have, let's have that conversation. So don't get lost in that, in that mist. That's a neverland. Don't go there. There's no point in going there. You won't find any answer that will be of any use to you. You can keep on questioning. Until the end of time, you can keep on questioning. You can go looking for answers. So, 
my advice to you is don't go that way go this way look for the end not the beginning end of sansara is arahatud finding out the beginning of sansara is not arahatud i'm not sure if, if it's even samma sambuddhud i don't know but it matters not <clears throat> so to get the lesson here can you start to look at things now through this lens i mean that was the whole point of this like this this exercise right if if all i showed you were murmurations and how these those birds you know they fly in beautiful formations if that's all you're going to take from today then in vain right i need you to apply this principle into everyday life when you go back into your lab take this principle you will see things you will see this pen i want you to stop seeing this as a pen you can't force yourself to stop seeing it as a pen but see it in a different way see it like this meaning there are elements which make this up and there are forces that act on it that keep acting on it every moment and it is in this moment they manifest as this in the very next moment if that manifestation changes if the arrangement changes like it did with these if the arrangement of the constituent elements change then this shape will change and you will no longer give it this label that is why you call this a pen and you call this a fan but this fan can be made into this pen is that so yes and no yes because i'm saying in one sense this bird can become the flower as you saw happen but it wasn't the bird that became the flower because there was never a bird for there to be a flower was there no there were just the there was just an arrangement when the very components of that arrangement had no understanding no knowledge that it was forming to make a bird then how can you say that there was a bird there remember last week we drew the people standing in in a, in a line right or in a circle and you know unbeknown to them you would say they stood in a they stood in a straight line but not even they know that they stood in a straight line does this make sense i'm going to give you another example now you like music do you ever make music hmm do you make music the answer is you always make music no but i don't i'm not a musician so i mean oh yes you are you are a director that's what you are right first i want you to listen to this this is uh what the toothbrush there is nothing called asmr i don't know if anyone has heard about it and anyway, thanks to them i've managed to find this video we'll talk about asmr another day and why it becomes the the new thing out there but anyhow this is the sound of 
of what? Hmm? An electric toothbrush. Okay. Right, that'll do. Let's try uh, the shaver. How long would you like to keep listening to that? We've still got a few, few more minutes. We can go until about 9.30. Not music to your ears? No? Or you prefer the toothbrush then? Okay, you can stop that. How about... Um, A receipt printer. You know those credit card machines? Hmm? And again? You like that? No? No music to your ears? So which one would you like me to play for, say, the next 10 minutes? Do you want the toothbrush, or the shaver, or the printer? Come on, don't all shout at once. I can't give all three, right? Just think about others also. Huh? Be nice. You give them what you, <laughs> you know all that. Which one would you like for me to play for the next 10 minutes? No? Not music to your ears? Do you have the typewriter? No typewriter. Alright. So you don't want to listen to any of those for the next 10 minutes? Are you sure? What if I forced you to? Would you walk away? So there you heard the sound of, first, a toothbrush. Then you heard the shaver, and then you had the printer. <clears throat> and you all tell me unanimously that that was not music to your ears. Yeah? I'm gonna prove you all wrong. Go on.
So you don't want to listen to that. You really don't want to listen to that. You don't want to listen to the toothbrush. You don't want to listen to the shaver. You don't want to listen to the receipt printer. No? Why have you changed your mind? Why have you changed your mind? Yeah, now you have a rhythm. Now you've taken it all as one. You can't have doing that. I'm showing you time and time again, you are helpless. See how I can make you dance on my palms? You're helpless. Because in initially, individually, those sounds you took again as individual sounds. That was one. And you didn't like it. The electric toothbrush, you didn't like that. It was just noise. I asked you, is it music to your ears? And you said no. And then we played electric razor. Again, you said, no, that's not music in my ears. And neither was the printer. But you have the same instruments here. Now, you know what's being played, just like you have projected this. You project this onto those sounds that you hear, just as you project something onto these, these sounds that I make right now. As the birds chirp and you project as your mother speaks and to her voice you project. This is what's happening. Now you take all these sounds and you combine them as one and you call it a what? You call it a song. Now you hear a song, don't you? Individual and discrete elements, but in your mind you combine all of them and that is how you make music. Music is not out there. Out there are simply sounds. That's why I said you are music directors. You project those patterns mentally onto the sounds that you receive through your ears out there. And now you have music. You have a song. And now you want to listen to that. So if I ask you now, shall I play that for the next 10 minutes? Yeah. All right, carry on. Let's not starve them. I need you to start reading the world the right way. The reason you, you can enjoy that sensually is because jati happens in your mind. They wouldn't be able to make music if you were not a music director. Only in your mind 
do you have the ingredients which start to grow the seeds that they throw? The mind is just a field, but with ignorance and attachment. Now when those seeds are plowed or sowed, right? Now this sensuality starts to grow. Your sensual desires are all based in jati, separation. Initially, previously, you heard those, those noises, but now you, you piece those noises together and you construct an individual thing, an entity, a thing, a separated thing. It is what you call a song. Like Cinderella's story, they are just events. You relate them all together and you make a story. Here, you make a song. So now you have things to enjoy life. That is how you watch a movie. That is how you watch a, uh, listen to a song and, and enjoy music. That is even how you enjoy art. What do you think about this, this pot? Don't you think it's got a bit of, it's got some, something about it? An artistic flair about it? Look at those patterns, those wavy lines. Hmm? That is your projection. What you fail to see is that is no different from that. And once again, I'm not talking about the external arrangement. The arrangements are different, but that is all that is. A different arrangement. Nothing more and nothing less. It is simply a different arrangement. Now think about you and the person sat next to you. How do you feel? Even when you think about yourself, you know you're thinking about yourself. When you think about the person sat next to you, you know you're thinking about a different person, don't you? It's an entirely different individual. It's a person. It's a, it's a, it's a person. It's a thing. It's, a, it's an entity. It's an individual. You can't help that. But what are they? How are they so different from you? Again, it's just five minutes apart. If their mother walked into the supermarket five minutes before your mother did, they'd be you and you'd be them. Wouldn't they? But the same carrot, split in two. One fed to the orphan, the other fed to your child. And you feel, this is my child, that is the orphan. I don't want it, but I want my child. You are not willing to swap. See what Jati does to you? See, now do you understand why when Jati happens in your mind, you can't be a mother to all people, to all sentient beings? Because you have preferences. <clears throat> the Buddha, we say, is Amamani, mother to all sentient beings, father to all sentient beings, because in his eyes, no one's different. Everyone's the same. Because in his eyes, he doesn't perceive you as a different entity, an individual, or a separate being to himself. Why? He doesn't perceive himself as a separate being. He knows all there is, is just mind and matter. Matter is matter is matter. And mind is just an energy. 
energy is energy. Which energy do you like? Electric energy or kinetic energy? What is your preference? What is your choice of energy? What would you like for lunch? Electric energy or kinetic energy? Hmm? Do you like one more than the other? Is it heat energy or light energy you like better? See, now you think I'm asking a silly question. What is the mind after all then? It's just energy. Energy is energy is energy, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, let's accept that. Your acceptance of that is your freedom. Your acceptance of the truth is your freedom. The further you live in a lie, the further you shall suffer. That is why I say you are the only ones who are in command. Or who is in command of your own suffering. You call the shots. You make it all up. You make your health yourself. All I can do is teach you this truth. Your understanding of this truth will gradually help you come to terms with reality. Gradually. I don't say it has to happen overnight. Perhaps you'll have to come to the sermons for the next five years. Maybe 10, maybe 15, maybe all your life. No matter how much time you're going to have to take, if this is the right thing to do, isn't this what you ought to be doing? That's why yesterday morning when we had been doing the sermon, I mentioned the point. For once, we have all started doing the same thing. For once. All this time, throughout your lives, you've all been following numerous, various, and different agendas. All for the same purpose. But all very different things. Today, that same purpose, but we are all following the same path. The only path that will take us there. You know, Vesak marks the advent of the Buddha. And the advent of the Buddha marks our coming together. It is what unites us. Because once we understand that all these differences that we have set in our own minds are all just fantasies. They're meaningless and useless. And whatever we have used to separate ourselves are only rods for our own backs. Once you recognize that, then you come to terms. Because your purpose hasn't changed. You know, the most difficult thing we have trying to deliver this Dhamma to the world out there is, is we are trying to give something that people think they already have. That is the biggest problem we have. You know, a man without shoes, I can sell him shoes, no problem. All I got to do is put my shoes on and tell him, you know, look at your feet, look at mine, see? And he understands. But the problem is, you know, try and give someone something that they think they have. Virtually impossible, right? When people out there, they live a sensual life, you know, live in their big houses and drive their big cars, right? And they think they live in the lap of luxury, right? And, or, you know, with or without the means, you know, say they have a family and they think family life is what it's all about. People to love, people to be loved by, right? And that is what it's all about. Going on trips or enjoying yourselves, going on holidays, right? Having nice food, doing nice things, right? Singing, singing dancing, music, all that. 
right? When people think this is enjoyment, this is fun, this is life. Now, when I have something that I know is truly happiness, I can't give it to them because they think they already have it. They're not willing to swap. They're not willing to give up what they think is happiness for what I believe and know is happiness. This is the problem. If you were hungry, I could give you food and you would take it without me having to, 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 to you know, convince you. Because you know you have a problem. But when you think you're happy, how on earth am I, trying to, am I going to be able to give you happiness? For that, you have to come here, be patient, and listen to what I have to say. That is what a lot of people don't have, the patience to listen to what somebody else has to say. They forget why this ratio of two years and one mouth. There's a reason for that. The more to listen to and the less to speak with. But when people believe they have something, I mean, you know, people who have all the time in the world, even, even, even a beggar on the street, right? If you ask, if you told him, why don't you, on a, on a poor day, why don't you go to the temple and observe seal? Right? What would the beggar on the street say? No, 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 no. I have more important things to do. I need to earn my, you know, my, 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 my bread and butter. I need, I need to earn something to, food, to, to feed myself, even on a poor day. And what about the man who has everything? Every rich in the world, every pleasure, every treasure. Hmm? You ask him, why don't you come to the temple on a poor day? No, I've got a business to look after. I've got my family to look after. I've got a holiday to go. I've got my estate to look after. I've got my cars that need to be get serviced and to go to the gym. I've got lots of things to do. A lot on my plate. Not today, maybe next time. Because they both believe that they have a happiness that they know and then they have to pursue that for their happiness. It takes a lot, ladies and gentlemen, for you to come and sit here. Don't underestimate yourselves. It takes a damn lot for you to come and sit here. Even to tune in, if you're listening to this online, when there are so many other options, <laughs> when, there are other, when there are so many other things that you could be listening to right now, Videos with a billion views. And apparently that's what everybody wants to watch. A million views, a million subscribers, when that's what everybody wants to watch and therefore that's what the platform will say, this is what you have to watch because everybody else is interested in this. When you've got all that, to listen to this, it takes a lot. Now you need to try and come, and come up with an explanation. What is it that got me to do this then? How, how, how come I'm convinced to be here? When I also had something that I thought was happiness, how come I'm here? One answer. Merit. That's it. <laughs> Nothing else. It was not my doing, not Guru Thero's doing, not your doing, because there was no you to do. Pure merit. The more merit power you have, the closer you are to true happiness. That's it. The less merit power you have, the, the further you are from true happiness. In the Buddha's own words, if one is to go on to become a human being, he does so thanks to his merits. If one goes to become a great emperor, he does so thanks to his own merits. If one goes to become a bhikkhu, he does so thanks to his own merits. If one goes to become an Aryan, a Sotapanna stream enterer, he does so thanks to his own merits. 
And if one goes on to become an arahant, with all the supernatural powers, all the irdi, and so on, he does so thanks to his own merits. If one goes to become a Pacheka Buddha, he does so thanks to his own merits. And what more can I say? If one goes on to become a Supreme Buddha, he does so thanks to his own merits. Merits is what have brought you here. That is why at our monastery, we only focus on two things. What you do here right now, listening to this, understanding this, comprehending this, giving true value to all the merits that you have done and earning those merits. Why do we focus on this so much? Because you know better than I do, all the other things you've done in your life haven't really taken you to any closer to your happiness. That is why you're here today. Have you never seen a rich man cry? Have you never seen the richest man cry? Rich or poor, grief and sorrow, black or white, man or woman, educated or uneducated, local or international, terrestrial or extraterrestrial, matters not. If you have a mind and if there's ignorance, you'll suffer. Simple. Simple as. How do you earn that merits? Those merits are earned by understanding at least slightly the essence behind this and then engaging in those 10 meritorious deeds that we have been taught by our great teachers. Charity. And it doesn't have to be big things or small things. It is not the size that matters. It is the thought that counts. Your charity can just be a thought. May you be well. May you be happy. That is charity. It doesn't have to be big and grand things. Someone else is making the offering. You are an onlooker. And you rejoice in your heart. How good, how great. Someone is going to benefit. Good is happening to this world. Goodness is coming. Sadhu sadhu. That alone is merits. See, it's not so difficult to do this. But what is easy to do is easy. Not to do, isn't it? That is why hardly anyone does it. <laughs> What's easy to do is easy not to do. It's so easy going to the temple. You don't even have to buy a ticket. But to go to the, uh, to the opera, you have to buy a ticket. To go go-karting, you have to buy a ticket. To come to the monastery, you don't need to buy a ticket. We don't charge you anything at the gate. It's free entry. And the Dhamma, which is most priceless of all, that's also free. And the roti that you get at the end of the day, that is also free. How can you put a price tag on something that is priceless? If we charged you for everything we give you at the monastery, you'd be bankrupt. on day one. You know, to earn all this, that man, he worked his socks off.
not the six long years that you know of. You thought you wanted to attend Nibbana when? Maybe last week, maybe a year ago, maybe six months ago, you thought, you know what, I should probably try my hand at Nibbana. That's when you started making plans for Nibbana. That's when you resolved, I should attend Nibbana. But you know, long before you thought you ought to do it, someone else did on your behalf. Because someone else thought that you were all his children. He saw no difference between you and somebody else. On behalf of everyone, he made that journey. He started that journey. He set off. In his mind, you were an Arahant 5,000 years ago. Or rather, five, what, four incalculable eons, eons ago. On behalf of all of us, he started this journey. Whether you believe it or not, that is the truth. Again, you don't have to believe it. You can set it all aside because your biggest offering to the Buddha is not worshipping at his feet and being grateful for what he's done for us. No, that is not what he asks of us. He never did. The only thing he asked was, free yourself. Because it is then, all his effort would have been worth it. Because all that was not to get for himself a group of followers, was it? It is not for a free meal. It, is not, it was not for a gathering. It, is, it was not for your obeisance. It was for nothing like that. It is purely, it was purely for your own salvation. So here we are. <laughs> this is the truth. Here you have it. You know what you need to do. So why delay? What's holding you back? Apply this. Your application is what's going to do it for you. I can only give you the path. You know, you know what's happened to me? Happened to me because I did something. Not just because my teacher gave me the Dhamma. I did something with it. Today you'll see me as a monk and you as a layperson perhaps. Right? What happened to me, because I was where you are, what happened to me was my action with what I got. It is not true to say that knowledge is power. Knowledge put into action is power. Today I am powerful because I put my knowledge into action. To whatever degree you can do it, you must do it. You may not be able to make every, every change, life transforming change in life as I have done, but you can do something. Every one of us can do something, can't you? I ask you, madam, is there not something you can resolve to do from today onwards towards your salvation? Of course you can. How about you, madam? And you? And you? Sir? Of course you can. Be someone who can go to bed at night, putting your hand on heart, true to your conscience. I have done what I can do today to free myself from suffering. Not on behalf of anybody else, but for yourself. Not for the Buddha, for yourself. Not for the Buddha. You can't make him happy. He's no longer here to be made happy. And besides, there's no one in this world that can make him happy. Nothing and no one that can make him happy. 
because he is happy just as he is. So this is something we do for ourselves. You know, I have a lot of respect for all of you because you, you do so much for others. Perhaps as parents, you do a lot for your children. As teachers, you do a lot for your students. As important people in society, you do a lot for your society. As employers, you do a lot for your employees. You do a lot for your country. You do a lot for your people. You do a lot for others. This you do for yourself. But often, this is the one thing that gets thrown by the wayside. And the ugly truth behind that is no one's interested in your salvation. Everyone is interested in their, their own salvation. By salvation, I don't mean this salvation. Because if you are talking about this salvation, then there is no your salvation and my salvation. But when we start talking about pleasure, there is your pleasure and there is my pleasure. In the name of pleasure, that's why I said right at the beginning, you know, in the name of love, people can hate. But when it's true love, there is no room for hate. God treats all his children the same. So the people who you live with and the people who you live amongst, the majority of times, will be individuals who are interested in freeing themselves from their vexation. It's not because they are vile and vicious, ladies and gentlemen, it's because they have no alternative. They don't know any other, any other way of getting out of that problem. They don't know any better. You know, when a mosquito stings you, how long can you, can you bear that pain? You either got to chase it away, or you've got to teach it a lesson it'll never forget. One of those two things you're going to have to do. There are two types of people in this world. There'll be those who will either chase it away, or there'll be those who will teach it a lesson. It's easier to teach it a lesson that will never forget, because then it won't do it again. But it takes a lot to chase it away, because the moment you look away, What's it going to do again? Come back. So therefore, when there are two paths, you'll always take the path of least resistance. The path that brings you least pain, the least amount of grief, that is what people will default to. It is not because they're bad. It's because they don't know any different. They don't know any other way out of it. That's why. When a mind is deeply vexed, all it cares about is freeing itself from that vexation. Don't hold a grudge against them for that. It's not their choice. It is the only choice they have. That's why. Once you understand what I'm saying, you will start to have infinite compassion towards all sentient beings. People who will come and try to cross your path try to block you, try to stampede you, try to crush you, try to obliterate you in any of these instances. If you understand what I'm trying to teach you here, what Guru Thero keeps going on about day and night, every day you come here, if you understand this truth, all you'll see is a mind that is vexed. 
that is the that is the start that is the that is the root of compassion you need to understand the truth that truth is what's going to ignite that compassion in you loving kindness starts there any other kind of loving kindness is not the loving kindness that the buddha taught there's worldly metta and there's the metta that the buddha taught the metta that the buddha taught needs an understanding a comprehension of the buddha's teaching the other metta anyone can do so if you are ambassadors of the buddha's teaching if you are evangelists of the buddhist philosophy you got to start it at home charity starts at home your home is your heart start there start to see the world in the ways that you have learned today otherwise this sermon would have been a waste the 2 hours you spent here 2 hours 3 hours you spent here the day you spent here will be a waste it is your action that makes all this worthwhile the action that you have to take when you're on your own when you're here you just listen to what i'm saying you'll absorb it you'll store it later you can retrieve it if you want to but what sets you free and i can i can't emphasize this enough what sets you free is you putting into action what you take away from here that is paramount nothing else matters more nothing else will set you free more than you doing whatever bit you have understood this is why i'm going on and on and on about it like a broken record i i need you to start doing whatever little is little whatever little you can do do it what has happened to me is because i did it so if it was possible for this mind it's possible for that mind we are no different i'm not special in any way i'm a very normal person a very normal person i'm not special i'm not specially gifted i have no special powers i have no special intellect nothing i don't exceed you in any other way you and i we are all the same so if i can do it you can do it can't you of course you can of course you can any differences you see between you and i are simply knowledge put into action that's it so therefore even i can't stop you now that i've given you the key i can't stop you see even i can't stop you even the buddha can't stop you from becoming a buddha once you've taken from him what he's given you see you're free you're free to fly as a bird so take responsibility for your own deliverance i need you to do that you know this being vesak and all that right i i think of this as uh, being our national day our day of independence if you are a member of the aryan club when did you get independence when is your independence day vesak day yeah it's not the 1st of january or the 4th of february it's vesak day because this is when independence was proclaimed independence from jati independence from suffering 
independence from the horrors that we've made for ourselves, from the hells that we built for ourselves, from the menace that we created for ourselves, independence from all that. Independence from having to be hungry, independence from having to starve, independence from having to bleed, bleed oceans worth, and die a sorry death. You're all aging, I can't help you. You can help yourselves. You're all ailing and I can't help you, but you can help yourselves. You're all at the doorstep of suffering. I can't turn you around, but you can. I can only show you how. I can't stop the next man walking up to you and slapping you in your face, either physically or verbally. I can't stop that from happening, but I can show you how. I can't stop your enemies from taking revenge because those were your own deeds. The chickens are coming home to roost and I can't stop it. But I can show you how. I can show you how. But you have to make a move. I can show you how to win this game, but you have to make the next move. It's not a game of luck. It's a game of action. So don't you be counting on your lucky stars. Is today the time? Is this the right year? Is this the right era? Forget all that nonsense. I'm a woman in this birth. Can I do much? <laughs> you are a mind and a mind can do whatever a mind can do and all that a mind can do. You're not too old for this and you're neither too young for this. You're not too manly, neither are you too womanly for this. You're neither too poor nor too rich for this because none of that matters. It is the truth. Understand the truth and you are free. Live in a lie and you're not. Simple. This is the beauty of Buddhist, of Buddhist teaching. It's free for all and is available to all and all can do it. If one can do it, all can do it. And as I said, don't underestimate yourselves. The fact that you're here today itself, the fact that you bring yourselves every morning, the fact that you bring yourselves here every weekend, I mean, that counts for something, doesn't it? Think about it. The fact that you let go of your youthful dreams as young women and let all that aside and to dedicate your lives to really achieving something as young men you can all do it. The differentiator is whether you take action or not. Simple as. So I urge you again, with all my heart, take action and you will win. The game is in your hands. 
So this is your independence day, or at least the day after. Make a resolve. Check with yourselves. Are you doing everything you can? Are you doing everything you ought to? Your maximum may not be mine. My maximum may not be yours. And that's fine. I couldn't do everything I'm doing today five years ago. That's not how it happened. Five years ago, I did what I could five years ago. Four years ago, I did what I could four years ago. Three, two, one, and today I do everything I can do today. You know what? I'm not doing everything I can do today, tomorrow. Whatever I can do tomorrow, I can't do today. But tomorrow, I'll be doing it. So wherever you are, wherever you're going to start, however far you have come on this journey, what matters is the next step you take. That, I ask you to take away today as a result. You know the truth. Here's, how, here's what, it, what happens. Here's how it all goes on. Here's the, here are the workings of your mind. Now you know it. Right? That suffering is your own making. You will have instances, circumstances, situations in your life when people will walk into your life and they'll bring you either good or bad. Accept both gracefully. Acknowledge it all gracefully and peacefully. Have that, seek that peace in your own mind. Don't ask for peace from the outside world. It's not their duty to give you peace. Are you an activist for peace? Well, jolly good. Find it to yourself. Don't ask for anyone to come and serve it to you on a plate. Are you a freedom fighter? Excellent. Well, then don't ask anyone to offer it to you. Go find it yourself. Because it's right where you are. You needn't go anywhere. It's right where you are. Again, I don't want this to just be a motivational speech because I don't come here to give motivational speeches. Remember, there are four ingredients to every man's success. I can give you inspiration and show you where to go. I can give you motivation and get you on your feet. But you need to have the two other ingredients being determination and discipline. Discipline is what you do every day. Determination is what's going to get you over the rough patches when things will get tough. When your natural inclination will make you want to do the thing that you've always been doing. When you feel like fighting back. When you feel like saying something when something has been said to you. Determination you will need in those times. And if you can't find it yourself, come and find a, find a teacher. Give them to give, uh, get them to give you a little bit more inspiration. Maybe a little bit more motivation. That's all they can give you. They can't give you determination or discipline. That's yours. So we do this half and half. I give you half, you have to bring half. That's how we go into business, 50-50. If you don't have your 50, there's no business. There's no deal here to be made. I'll give you my 50. My money is all in. How about yours? Two hundred and fifty of us at this monastery are prepared to give what we can to you. Our monks, our anagarikas, our anagarikas, and the young babies back there who are waiting to go on to become greater people than we will ever be in our lives. Because they're growing up in noble companionship. An opportunity we never had. I had loving parents, but they only loved me. That was the problem. 
They didn't love everyone the same. But the mothers that they have are anagarikas who love everyone, who loves everyone the same. And the fathers that they have are the Buddha Putras, sons of the Buddha, who knows no other love than love for everyone. That is why they'll go on to become greater men than I will ever be. 250 of us here to this day. Tomorrow we'll be 300. One day we'll be 500. Then we'll be a thousand. That'll happen when you join our ranks. Because we don't import Aryans, we make them. We have shoes for them. You need to come and fill them. We have robes for them. You must come and get into them. Path is clear. What we have to do is clear. We have teachers who care more about us than they care about themselves. What more could you ask for? Even when I go on arms round, just the thought of not having my teacher in front of me sends a shiver down my spine because now I have to watch where I have to put my next step. Is it a rock on the ground or a thorn on the ground or a puddle of water on the ground? I have to look out for. But when he's there, I can walk blindfolded. See, we can give you 250 people like that today, just this day, just today. So the only thing that sits between you and your salvation is nothing on our side. Don't point your finger this way. Turn it around. It is your action that will set you free. And I know you can do it. That is why I'm talking like this. I want you to do it. I know you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Because a mind can do anything it pleases anything it wishes for. It can become a Mara. It can become a Buddha. It can become a force for destruction or a force for peace. It's all your choice. So, this is our Independence Day. This is Vesak. A time for you to make a resolve. This time next year, don't be the same person you are today. I told you, this didn't happen, didn't happen to me overnight. This happened over a period of time. So one year from today to next year. Next Vesak, I'll be seeing you again. Hopefully. Who knows? That's anybody's guess. Perhaps this was my last Vesak. Maybe it was yours. Maybe it was both of us. Then perhaps we shall meet, not meet again. But what's important is not either you or me meeting again. It's about who we are if we meet again. You know, really, if we meet again, 
and we meet as the same people we've met today, we needn't have met the previous time. Nothing happened. You didn't change, I didn't change. So why, why did we bother meeting? Hmm? You come back next week, the same person you are. Why did you come today? What good came out of it? What use came out of it? Either I have to send you to battle, or I have to send you to make peace. One of these two things have to happen. Otherwise, I've not done anything in your lives. So, if we meet next year, if we meet next month, next week, or tomorrow, I pray we meet as changed men and women. I pray that we don't meet each other with the same defilements, with the same weaknesses and the same flaws as we did today. How is that possible? Knowledge put into action is the power that will transform you. So when you walk out of those two gates, take this, take what you're going to get this evening, take what you got yesterday evening, and do whatever you can, whatever little you can, however much you can. Let it make that magic happen inside you and be free. Let's not live to see the Maitri Buddha's advent or him becoming a Samhasam Buddha. It would be a damn pity, wouldn't it? If we'd be there to throw flowers at him as he becomes a Maitri Buddha. Hmm? And bring, or bring him the Kiri Pindudan. <laughs> wouldn't that be a real shame? You know what he'd say? Get lost. You were here the time before and you've come back again. Don't waste my time. Give this opportunity to someone who never heard the Dhamma that was uttered by my predecessor. That's what he would say. So don't you be having any hopes of meeting the Maitri Buddha. Not under my nose. Maybe my nose. Right, it's time. Let's conclude for today. Let us all take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, enchanting Pirit and listening to the Dhamma, observing Sil and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasikas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Sripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhansi as well as all the teachers, the resident of the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. 
Let us take this moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be there by translating these sermons, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. And may, by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May, by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who, for the sake of merits, continue to sustain the Mahasangha, and this includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of this monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes, and medicines, as well as those who passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well-wishes. May, by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves from, the bliss, from those woeful plains and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers, employees, and to all those who have helped, supported and assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits to the devas, brahmas, spirits, and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhu Sasana. Let us transfer these merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And by the power of these merits, may they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey of samsara and to those who helped, supported and assisted us along the way. May by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves from the woeful plains and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. And may all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us also transfer these merits to all those who lost their lives to natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, forest fires, earthquakes and so on. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey of samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them. And may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us all resolve that may, by the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may by the power of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success become an Arahat Nuhanse or an Arahat Terani Nuhanse in this very life itself and in the eva of the Gautama Supreme Buddha himself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. And the members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you all. Vesha gin and
ಸಾಧು 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 